You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're continuing our series called Counterculture. We've been teaching for the past few weeks through the New Testament book of First Corinthians, which is really actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians living in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And one of the problems that these Christians living in Corinth that they were dealing with is that they had gotten infected by the pagan culture around them, and they were experiencing a lot of different problems as a direct result. If you remember in week one, we kicked it off by saying that culture is contagious. How many of you know that's true? Like culture is contagious. We're either catching the culture of the kingdom of God or we're catching the culture of this fallen world around us. We're either influencing it or it's influencing us. And so Paul is writing to a church that has issues, that has a lot of problems. This was by far not a perfect church. He's writing to a church that's wrestling with things like disunity and abuse of Christian freedom and spiritual gifts. I mean, they were out of control. He's writing to a church that had doctrinal issues, like their beliefs were messed up. Uh, He's writing to a church that's struggling to learn how to hold each other accountable, like in love. Come on, aren't you thankful that the gospel doesn't just come to perfect people? Come on, every now and then you walk in church sometimes and you feel like, pastor, if you only knew what my life was like right now, it's a mess. If you only knew my past. Well, let me just tell you, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. The Corinthians were dealing with stuff. They were, they were like people like you and me, just real human beings like you and me who were wrestling with issues and problems. And, and so Paul is writing to encourage them and to help them in many ways to set them straight. And how many of you know we need that sometimes? Come on, we need, to, we need to open the word of God and allow it to speak to our lives. And there's times when we need it to correct us. And that's what this letter is really all about. Now, one of the issues that Paul tackles in this letter is sexual immorality. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So by the way, parents, if, uh, it's going to be a bit PG-13 today. So if you have some younger kids and, and you need to check them into Redemption Kids, just go ahead and excuse yourself to do that right now. All right. If they're middle school on up, it's just fine. You might as well keep them in here because the world's going to tell them what to think about sex. Their friends are going to tell them what to think about sex. Cardi B is going to tell them what to think about sex. Come on, we might as well open up the scripture and let the word of God tell them what to think about sex. Can I get an amen? Somebody. All right. But if you have really young ones and, and you're not ready to answer certain questions that may arise today, then just go ahead and slip out right now and check them into Redemption Kids. So the Corinthians were living in, in a moral sex-crazed society, sex-crazed culture, much like ours, but really even worse. Uh, Corinth was known for its many prostitutes. There was something like a thousand prostitutes in the city of Corinth. It worked out to be about like one prostitute for every 30 people living in the city. In fact, it was so bad that there was a phrase that developed in Greek that literally meant to, to Corinthianize. The phrase was to Corinthianize, which meant to be sexually deviant. How many of you know it's really bad when they're naming curse words after your city? That's, this, is, this is how bad it was in, in Corinthians, okay? Now, if you remember in week one, we talked about unity, right? In fact, we talked about this problem of disunity. There were a lot of different groups, a lot of different factions, a lot of different teams present in the church. Well, one of the groups of people in, in the church uh, that were causing some problems are, are what commentators call the libertines. 
These were essentially hedonists. These were people who were self-indulgent, who were taking Christian freedom to the extreme. And we're going to come back and talk some more about that next week. But in particular, they were basically teaching that Christians were free to do whatever they wanted with their bodies. It was like Christian freedom on steroids. They were taking it way out of bounds. There were even some people in this group in the church who were teaching, who were espousing ideas like, it's okay, the, the, vision, the occasional visit to a prostitute is okay. There's no problem with that. And I know that, sh- that sounds kind of shocking to us today, but we just find other things that we excuse in our culture within the church when it comes to sexuality. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So when we get to chapter six, Paul takes this head on. He just takes this on directly. And so we're going to be camped out in chapter six today. I want to encourage you to be reading along with us. And so I want to encourage you to read chapters 7 through 9 this week. Um, I cannot possibly cover all of it. This is, this is such a big book. So read chapters 7 through 9. Next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to teach through chapters 8 and 9. But if you read the next few chapters, that'll help you uh, really stay connected. Come on, we're in this together. Let's be reading and doing our summer reading together. All right, church? So Paul is going to show us something really important today. This is something that, that he writes to the Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I believe it's something fresh and real and relevant for us today. And here's the idea that he's going to put out there today. It's really powerful. What Paul's going to show us is that there is an extremely spiritual dimension to sex, that it's not just something physical, but your sex and your sexuality is connected to your, your spirituality. Our spirit and our body are meant to be unified as one. Come on, there are some things that are not meant to be separated. We have peanut butter and you eat bacon and cookies and milk. Yeah, some things are just meant to go together, right? It's just not the same if you separate them. And sometimes in our modern day thinking, we tend to separate the body and the spirit of the soul, whatever you want to call it. But Paul's going to say, no, no, you're a holistic being and your sexuality and your spirituality are, are connected. And if you want to understand biblical sexuality, you have to get this idea that there's a spiritual dimension to your sexuality. So let's dive in. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to fast forward to verse 12, where Paul begins to address this group of people in the church who are abusing freedom. Keep that in mind today, because we're going to teach kind of verse by verse here. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this. He quotes this. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, here, in this verse, Paul is quoting some popular slogans that the Corinthians were repeating in the church, and he's rebutting them, okay? Sometimes people read the scripture, and they misunderstand it because it sounds like Paul's agreeing with them. No, he's quoting them, and then he's rebutting them. <clears throat> this would be like saying something like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, okay? You quote it, but that doesn't mean you believe that that's actually something good. If you get an STD in Vegas, it comes with you. It comes home with you. Not everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and so that's kind of the idea here. Paul's like, you got all these little quotes. Let me just deal with some of the things that you're, that you're quoting in, in the church. So some of the, the Christians in Corinth were saying things like, um, we're free from the Old Testament law, which was actually true. But then they were taking it too far, and they were basically saying, so now we can do whatever we want. But Paul reminds them that that's not Christian freedom. 
He says, Jesus set you free so that now you're no longer a servant to, to your fallen flesh. You're no longer a servant to sin, but he set you free so that you can serve God fully, so that you can love God fully, so that you can love your fellow man fully. That's what true Christian freedom looks like. What does your casual sex have to do with that? What does your sex with prostitutes have to do with that? You are totally, like totally misunderstanding the concept of Christian freedom. Being free from the Old Testament law does not mean giving my body to sinful desires freely. Just because your body feels like doing something doesn't make it right. Come on, how many of you know that's true? Your body will tell you to do all kinds of things that aren't right. Sometimes your body will tell you that you need to eat a dozen donuts. How many of you know you don't need to eat a dozen donuts? <laughs> your body will tell you to rage out in anger at somebody who cuts you off in traffic. How many of you know you probably should not do that? I do not want to see you on the six o'clock news today, okay? There are some things your body will tell you to do that you should not do. No, no, no. I'm supposed to obey scripture, not my body. Scripture tells me what's right for my life. The word of God counsels me for what's right for my life. Not every bodily urge that I have. That's crazy talk. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that that's crazy talk. And then Paul addresses another slogan in verse 13. He says this, you say food from the stomach and stomach for food. God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Basically, this group of Christians, they were saying this, like if your body has a desire, your body has a desire and you satisfy it, whether it's food or sex or whatever, and one day God is going to do away with your body. So it doesn't really matter. Your, your sexual urges are just like your urges for, for, for food. It's just physical. What God really cares about is that is your soul. Like Jesus came to save your soul and your relationship with God is spiritual and your body's just a temporary house for your soul. And what really matters is, is your soul and not, not your body at all. The problem is, and some Christians buy into this today, the problem with that is that is not biblical thinking. That's actually Greek philosophy. This is Plato, okay? Come on, we're talking about ancient Greece here, the Corinthians. They weren't too far away from Athens where all these Greek philosophers were, right? And this is, a, this is, an, this is, this is very Greek, the whole idea that the soul is what's important and that physical matter aren't important. No, no, if you read Genesis chapter one, God created the earth and the sun and the stars and the moon and the fish and the sea. And he said, it's all good. All of my creation is good, okay? So we gotta get this right. That's not biblical thinking. So some of these Corinthians were espousing this idea that all that matters is your spirit. All that matters is your spirit. Yeah, you got to read it like that. That's kind of how it feels. All that matters is your spirit. But the Bible never teaches that all that matters is your spirit. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that one day your body will experience resurrection at the return of Christ. Now, when you die, you're going to be with Jesus if you're in Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true. But if you read the end of the book, Jesus is going to come back from heaven to earth. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and there's going to be a bodily resurrection. Someone to salvation, someone to damnation. That's just Orthodox Christianity. Some of you grew up in churches, churches where you quoted the creeds every Sunday. Like, we still believe that stuff. This is core Christianity. Like your body matters. One day, God is coming back to redeem his creation. You gotta understand it's much bigger than your personal salvation. What Jesus is doing, he has set into motion the redemption of the world, the redemption of God's fallen creation. And so our bodies matter. So the Corinthian lie about sex basically has two parts. Part A is that sex is just physical and it's like any other biological need. And then part B is what you do with your body has no bearing on your soul. Does this sound recognizable to you today? 
Like, is this lie still out there in our culture to this day? I mean, think about the way people talk about sex, right? Oh, we just hooked up, right? Oh, we're just friends with benefits. Oh, it was, we were just bored. It was just a fling. It was just fun. There's no strings attached. Like, it was just, just physical. Like, people talk about sex and sexuality, like, to this day, just like this. In fact, the director, Woody Allen, once quipped, I know sex without love is an empty experience, but as empty experiences go, it's one of the best. <laughs> But isn't that, that's so like reminiscent of our culture, right? So reflective of the way our culture thinks about sex and sexuality. So the Corinthian view is alive and well today in our world. Now, how does Paul respond? Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Look at what he says. He says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also Paul directly refutes this platonic Greek idea that your body doesn't matter. He says, no, your body is for the Lord. Jesus gave his life. He gave his actual body on the cross for your life. And so your body matters. Your body is for the Lord. It's for the Lord. And then Paul continues with a really powerful, kind of shocking analogy. Look at this, verse 15 through 16. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. How many of you know the analogy of the body of Christ? Paul says we're the body of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Today he might say, shall I take the members of Christ and just unite them in casual sex with somebody that I met on a hookup app? That's how he might say it today. Don't get quiet on me. Hello, somebody. Shall, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter two. Verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul says, if you really believe that you're part of the body of Christ, that you've been united with Christ somehow, like in the spiritual realms, like you have been united, you've been adopted into the family of God, you've been not united with Christ, you're one with him, you're a member of his body. How does joining your body um, in, in sex with a prostitute, or we might just say in casual sex to apply it to us today, how does that reflect on that idea that your body belongs to Christ? Like those, those two ideas are really incompatible. And today it's like really easy to pick on the Corinthians, right? Like, yeah, that's really messed up, man. They thought it was okay to even have sex with prostitutes. Like, gee whiz, what was going on in that church? Like, it's really easy for us to, to pick on the Corinthians. But I think there are a lot of Christians who have no problem with their soul or their spirit belonging to Jesus, but their body belonging to Jesus is another matter. I think there are a lot of people like, oh yeah, my soul belongs to Jesus, but my body, that's kind of private. That's mine, that's kind of mine to do with what I want as I please. I think we tend to compartmentalize our lives as modern day people. Think about the way we talk about our lives, you know? Well, there's my spiritual life. And for many people, that's one hour on a Sunday, sadly. There's my spiritual life. And that pretty much happens on Sunday morning, every now and then, about once a month. <laughs> and then there's my, I'm keeping it real today. I'm fresh off of the espresso from Italy. Hallelujah. I'm gonna let it rip this morning. So there's my spiritual life. There's my, you know, there's my professional life, my career life. There's my social life. There's my sex life. Right? There's all these little compartments. But let me just tell you, Jesus Christ did not just come to save your soul. He wants to be Lord over your life. He's either Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. Come on, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. God, every part of my life belongs to you. Every part of my life belongs to you. There are no compartments. 
You are Lord of all. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. Paul says there's a spiritual dimension to sex. There's a spiritual dimension to your sexuality. There's something deeply spiritual to it. And I think deep down, intrinsically, we know this. I think as fallen as our culture is and as messed up as it is when it comes to sex, I think we really know this. I mean, for example, if, if sex is just physical, why is something like sexual abuse or rape so damaging to a person's psyche, so, so damaging to a person's well, well-being, right? If sex is just physical, why is it so hard to forgive someone when they've cheated on you in an intimate relationship. Some of you carry those scars. You know what I'm talking about. If sex is just physical, why are so many people's deepest regrets often about about sexual experiences? You know, as a pastor, people come to me for prayer and I get to counsel people and people share regrets. And can I tell you that, that quite often some of the most powerful regrets that people have are connected to sexual experiences. Why is that if it's just physical? It's because we, we, we know deep down on the inside, we know that this is a special, sacred area of our lives. There's, there's something about sex that reflects our deepest and most intimate selves. I mean, it is the creative force of the planet. We all got here the good old-fashioned way, right? There's something powerful about this thing. There's something, this is a unique, a unique aspect of our lives. And Paul tells us it's, it's actually spiritual. So let me give you a few thoughts around the connection between sexuality and spirituality. You might want to put these in your notes today. A couple thoughts about that. Number one, God created the soul and the body to function as one. As we said before, we're holistic beings, right? One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, says we're not just saved as souls, we're saved as wholes. Like Jesus came to save every aspect, every part of your life. So God created the soul and the body to function as one. Look at verses 16 and 17 again, okay? Here's what Paul says. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter two. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now think about this. Paul uses an illustration, an example of the cheapest form of sex possible. Like if ever, like there was a a form of sexuality that's just physical, it'd be sex with a prostitute, right? Like impersonal, to strangers, a financial transaction, right? Somebody's not going to remember your name. You're just another customer. And Paul says, even in this kind of encounter, the cheapest of encounters, it involves union between two people. Wow. That's amazing. So your body and your soul, they're, they're holistic, right? Number two, Christ died to redeem our bodies also. Paul tells us Christ died to redeem our bodies also. Look at verse 14, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In other words, Jesus's body was redeemed so that your body could be redeemed one day also. Think think about this. If all God cared about was, was your soul, if the human body was not important at all, why did God resurrect Jesus' body from the dead? Some of y'all never really stopped to think about that because we talk so much about Jesus dying for our sins and then we get to Easter once a year and we get all excited and we dress up really nice and we sing the songs. But if we're honest, we get to the end of the day, like, what was that really all about, right? If Jesus just, if all that mattered was your soul and your physical body didn't matter and this physical creation that God called good didn't matter, then after Jesus died, they could have just took his body down off the cross and just buried it and God would just accept his death on the cross as a payment for your sins. 
But obviously there's something that matters here, right? Like the body matters. So Jesus, his body was resurrected. And part of it is to conquer death because we human beings don't just have a sin problem. We have a death problem. The scripture tells us we weren't meant for death. Jesus took care of your sins on the cross. He took care of your death problem at the resurrection. Your body matters. Your body matters. And so God cares about our our physical body. Side note, this is why we see Jesus healing people. This is why when people came to Jesus in physical distress, we see, we see Jesus healing people. This is why we still believe in healing in this church. So often we offer prayer on a Sunday morning after church because we believe that God can heal. We will lay hands on you. We will pray over you. We're not going to give anybody a 100% guarantee, but we believe that Jesus cares and that he's moved by our sickness, by our infirmity because he made our bodies and he wants to redeem them. Here's the third point, number three. God designed sex to reflect our unity with him. In verse 16, I know that sounds weird, but stick with me for a minute. In verse 16, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, for it is said that two will become one flesh. Now, this is a reference to marriage between a man and a woman at the creation of Adam and Eve, okay? For 2,000 years, the Christian church has believed that marriage is sacred, that it's between a man and a, and a woman. And so this goes all the way back to the creation of Adam and Eve. And he says, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. Come on, everybody say, one flesh. Now, I wanted you to say that because that is a word picture. And that word picture means exactly what you think it means when you use your imagination. One flesh, two people coming together, right? That's what that means. Oh, it's okay to have fun in church today. It's a word picture. It's one of my favorite recreational pastimes as a married person. It's a word picture of the unity symbolized. (laughs) We have three kids. We're done. It's all recreational from here on out. (laughs) One flesh is a word picture of the unity symbolized by sexual union in the covenant of marriage, okay? So later on, uh, actually in Ephesians chapter five, Paul talks about the same thing. He quotes this same verse from Genesis chapter two. He talks about this one flesh union, and then he calls marriage a profound mystery. Now for all you married people, you can resonate with this because marriage feels like a mystery some days because there are many days you think, who is this person I married? (laughs) I know I stood up and said all these vows and wonderful things to you about you years ago, but I don't even know who you are anymore. Paul tells us it's it's a profound mystery. Now the word mystery is translated from the Greek word mysterion, which is not mystery like in the sense of an unsolved mystery, but it's actually a truth that's been revealed. That's what mystery is in the biblical sense. So here's the truth that's been revealed. Here's the revelation Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter five, that Christian marriage is actually not just about two people who fell in love and lived happily ever after. No, it's actually two people coming together to be a picture of the love of Christ. Two people in covenant, two people committed to each other, two people laying down their lives for each other for a lifetime. He says, when you do that and you're submitted to Christ, it's powerful. It literally becomes a picture to the church and to the world around you, a picture of Jesus' self-sacrificial love for the church. Well, think about that. It's marriage with, with a mission, right? He designed marriage to be a radical reflection of his love for us. And the symbolic act that's, that symbolizes this unity in marriage, we all know is sex, Okay? You did not, when you signed the wedding license for those of you who got married on the day you got married, that did not consummate the marriage, right? We all know the act that seals the deal. We all know the unifying act, right? That is the special thing in a marriage relationship. I relate to a lot of people a lot of different ways, but there's only one person in my life that I relate to that way, my wife, who got a cute haircut. I came home to a new wife after Italy. Praise God. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May she always satisfy you. 
So, side note, this is why marriage and cohabitation are not the same thing. See, marriage has, has a mission, two people laying down their lives for each other in, in covenant with each other and with God to reveal his love to, to the world. That, that, is, that is sacred. And I've talked to a lot of young Christians who, who really love Jesus and they, and they love the person they're with, their partner. A lot of young Christians who are living together and kind of ask me what I think about marriage. Like, does it really matter? Like, we love each other. We love Jesus. And they may even have a wonderful relationship. But I tell them that there's a difference between living together and living in covenant. See, a lot of times when people are living together, they're trying to figure out, are we compatible? Right? Can we live together without killing each other? And that's, that's good. There's some sense in that. Compatibility is important. The problem is that compatibility is a good foundation. It's a good floor. It's just not a good ceiling. Compatibility will only take you so far. Come on, let me tell you, going on 20 years of marriage this fall, there have been seasons in my life where Amy and I have not felt compatible. We have not always felt compatible, right? But we're in covenant with each other. Come on, compatibility cannot take you where covenant is meant to take you. It's covenant that will hold you together for a lifetime. Covenant will hold you together when you don't feel compatible. I'm in covenant with you. I didn't just make a promise to honor you. I made a promise before God to honor you. There is no back door. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm not cutting out just because you don't leave the toilet seat down or take the trash out or you get all these little annoying habits. No, I'm in covenant with you. And my marriage is bigger than me because I'm on a mission to display the love of Christ to the world. And I've submitted to this process. And I'm not perfect in it, but man, when I submit this relationship to Jesus, it reveals the love of Christ to the world. So hang in there, married people. Hang in there, married people. And some of you, some of you single Christians, you need to get a conversation going on about marriage. We would love to marry you. We'd love to help you get married. You need to get a conversation going on about it. Well, Pastor Jeremy, we weren't planning on talking about it. Well, now you are. Because, interesting conversation on the way home today. Because your sexuality is connected to your spirituality, Paul goes on to say this. Look at this, verse 18 through 20. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Come on, there are some sins that you may try to endure. You may try to bear it, but this one's too powerful. Flee, just run away from it. All other sins in a person, uh, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins actually sins against their own body, like something special, something sacred. We all know there's no more intimate expression of the use of the human body than, than, than our sexuality. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Read this last line out loud with me. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Come on, Paul says that the gospel is the motivation for sexual integrity. Not being a good person, not being a nice Christian, not being chaste and so you can feel good and wear a white wedding dress one day. No, no. The gospel is the motivation for your sexual integrity. Jesus gave his life for you. So our response is to give our whole lives back to him. Everything, everything. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, he says, take every part of your life and offer it back. Like your bodies are a living sacrifice to him. No more compartments. God, every area of my life belongs to you. Here's the idea. When it comes to sexual integrity, we honor God with our bodies because we recognize that our bodies belong to him. We recognize that our bodies belong to him. And so, so often, like I said, as modern day people, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. But today, here's the recognition. Here's the power. Here's the real motivation. It's a gospel motivation. Jesus, you gave everything for me to set me free. And now I get to give every area of my life back to you 
in worship. There's no compartment, no area that I'm holding back. And I recognize that even my body belongs to you because I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, sex is bad, don't have sex. How many of you heard that speech before in church growing up? How many of you heard that speech in religious ed class growing up? Like sometimes, it's so sad, right? Some of you, that's the only message you ever heard about in church on on this topic. No, Paul is saying that sex is actually a beautiful act. In fact, you should do your summer reading, married people especially, because when you get to chapter seven, he he prescribes it to married people. (laughs) There were some other group of people in the church who were, so there was the freedom people, then there were these other people who were saying like, no, sex is really a bad thing. We should be celibate. Like even married people should consider stop having sex. I know, crazy Greek philosophy, okay? Paul says, no, no, married people, you should be, you should be rejoicing in each other. Come on, as Pastor Bodie said last week, he used the Nike slogan, just do it. Hey, married people, read chapter seven, just do it. Can I get an amen, somebody, married people in the house of God. See, the world glamorizes sex outside of marriage. I think in the church, we ought to start celebrating sex in marriage. Some of y'all grew up in church and all your pastor ever talked about was he spent so much energy in the past trying to convince people not to have sex. And I think they forgot to celebrate sex in marriage. It is a beautiful, wonderful gift that God has given us. It's so good that we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mess it up. We want to get this right in the covenant of marriage as God designed it. But Paul is saying that sex is powerful. He's saying that it, it, it's spiritual. Let me give you this analogy. Think about fire, right? We all know fire is a powerful force. And there's a lot of good things that come from fire. We can use it to warm ourselves, to cook our food, to make things. There's nothing like sitting around a campfire, right? On a summer night. There's a lot of good things about sex, but we all know that that if we handle fire the wrong way, it can burn us. It can burn us, right? I remember, I haven't ever really ever been burned really bad before, but I remember one time when I was a kid, I think it was New Year's, a firecracker went off in my hand. And that little burn, I remember falling asleep with my hand in a jar of ice water because it stung so bad, right? Now, take that idea about sex. God is saying, I, w- I want you to experience sex, this powerful force in a way that blesses you. Like fire, it's powerful. There's a lot of good, good things about it. Come on, triple fire emojis. Hello, this is a gift that God has, has given us, right? But if you, if you misuse it, it can burn you. I want you to experience sex in a way that blesses you, not burns you. So Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality so that you don't get burned by it. Now, the word translated immorality from the Greek literally comes from the word pornea. Pornea, what a loaded word, right? It means all sexual sin, all sexual sin. And so let's not pretend here today that all the married people, come on, single people, let me just give, just give you some encouragement today. Let's not here pretend that all the married people are just living in bliss here and just totally exempt from temptation. No, no, no. Like this, this is an area that we all have to be on guard with. Hello? Like this is an area for every one of us. I don't know about you, but man, I have to fight to renew my mind. Like I experience temptation or any other red-blooded men in this room with me this morning who know like it's a it's a struggle sometimes to renew our minds i have to fight to keep my mind and my heart and my thoughts pure and so you you need to have boundaries and safeguards and accountability like you need a brother or sister in christ who can pray for you this is why you need a life group this is why you need to be in a team this is why you need to know somebody's name and have some friendships in, in your life so you have some people praying for you If you're experiencing temptation, and we all do, I shouldn't say if, when you experience temptation, you need to have a plan in place. You need to have some boundaries. 
got to be careful with certain relationships. There are some people you need to delete their, their number from your phone and block them if you have to. There are certain apps you need to get off of, of your phone. Married people, it's okay for you to have be in, be in friendships with people of the opposite sex, but man, you got to be smart. You got to use, use wisdom, right? Because remember, everything that your body tells you is good is not good for you. And yes, we have freedom, but be careful how you use your freedom. Be careful the signals that you're sending. There are some people right now, there are some warning bells going off in your life right now. The Holy Spirit is saying, you got to be careful. Be careful with how you're talking to that person. Be careful being a little bit too excited to see that friend, being a little too excited to see that person at work. Come on, like your heart belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. Got to be careful. Got to put some boundaries in place. Can I just give you like a real example of a boundary in my life? Like in our house, like I have three boys. We don't play around with the whole pornography thing because it'll destroy your mind and your soul. So we have like Christian software, covenant eyes on all of our devices, on all of my laptops, every phone, every tablet in our house. And because we recognize like, dude, this, this is real. The struggle is real. And it's amazing when the secular world starts catching up to what the church has known for thousands of years because now all of the secular doctors and psychologists are talking about how pornography is destroying people's lives. Like this isn't even a church. It used to be hard to talk about this because this was a church topic. Like all of the leading psychologists and therapists are talking about how pornography addiction is destroying people's lives. And God wants to set you free. You can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may feel bound today. By the power of the Holy Spirit, get some boundaries, get some accountability, get some software. Do whatever you got to do to flee, flee. Run from whatever it is that's burning you. Run from whatever it is that's burning you. And here's the question, what are you going to run to? Not just what are you going to run away from, but what are you going to to run to? Don't just play defense, play offense. Run to God-honoring things. Come on, run run to God-honoring relationships. Exercise and hobbies and good things to fill your life with. Come on, if if you're married, the scripture says rejoice in the wife of your youth. Can I just say the rest of it? May her breasts always satisfy you. Go read it. It's a scripture. Go read it. It's a scripture. Come on, today's the sex talk. I'm just quoting scripture this morning. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, man. Run to the good gifts that God has given you. If you're a first-time guest, you're like, oh my God, what do they preach about? It's not like this every Sunday. I don't come back hocked up on the Holy Spirit and espresso every Sunday, but today is your day. And can I just speak to those of you in this room today who you're in the category of people who has regrets. Some of you in this place today, like, their regrets, their shame, their scars. You say, Pastor Jeremy, I've been burned before. I carry that around in my heart today. Can I just give you some good news today? There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let me show you one final scripture. We're going to close with this and receive communion in just a moment. Earlier in chapter six, to set this up in verse 11, Paul gives a list of sins. And many of them are sexual sins, sins that were in the church. And he describes this whole list of sins. And here's what Paul says. And that is what some of you were. He lists this, 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 this awful list that, that really could bring shame to anyone, but Paul doesn't beat them up. Paul doesn't take their sin and beat them over the head with it. He says, that's what some of you were. But come on, look at the rest of this verse. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Can I just encourage somebody here today, no matter what your past is, 
your sexual past, no matter what your sins are, no matter what your failures are, no matter what addictions you've been struggling with, no matter what ways you've been, you've been struggling with sin. Come on, that's not even who you are anymore. In Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he set us free. Because he set us free. He set us free. You were sanctified. You were justified. Come on, you were washed clean and you can experience that today. Come on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be bound by anything. Come on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be set free. Would you stand with me this morning? In just a moment, we're gonna receive communion. If you're watching online, maybe you wanna get your elements if you're partaking with us as you, as you watch online today. Come on, can we just take a moment? and just offer ourselves back to God. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, in, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Literally, this is what we do. We think about how Jesus gave everything for us. And so we recognize that every aspect of our lives, every one of those aspects, our financial life, our professional life, our sexual life, our, our hobbies and recreations and social life. God, every, everything belongs to you. And so that's what we do today. We offer ourselves back to him in worship. Would you just pray with me this morning? Just bow your head. Maybe you want to lift your hands today. God, we want to honor you in every area of our lives. God, we thank you for your word that speaks to every aspect of our lives. God, we thank you for your word that counsels us on this sacred area of our lives, our sexuality. God, an area, if ever there was an area where we need guidance from your word in this world that we're living in today, and God, we receive it. We receive your wisdom. God, we let it challenge us. We let it correct us. We let it encourage us today. God, we ask you to do today what that verse said, to wash us. Come on, somebody needs to pray that with me. To wash us, to sanctify us, and to justify us. Come on, make that personal. God, I'm inviting you today by your Holy Spirit to, to wash me clean today. Somebody needs to pray that with me. Wash me clean today. Sanctify me today by your Spirit. And justify me today that, God, I'm made right before you. My sins no longer define me. My brokenness no longer defines me. My past no longer defines me. But I'm justified today. Justified because of your son, Jesus. Thank you for it. Father, I pray for the person who feels far away from you today, who needs to place their faith in you, who needs to be new, who needs to be made new, that they would simply pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I place my faith in you. I turn from my sins. I place my faith in you. I believe you are who you said you are the son of God, that you lived for me, that you died on the cross for my sins. You were resurrected to give me new life and I place my faith in you. I exchange my old way of life for new life in you. Father, we thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for lives that are, that are recommitted, for lives that are committed to you for the first time. We celebrate your goodness, your grace, and your mercy and we give you praise in Jesus name. Come on, can somebody put your hands together this morning for the goodness of God, for the love of God, for the grace of God, for the mercy of God in our lives. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.